Manscaped presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Also brought to you by our partners at Foundation Physiotherapy, Ballistic Sports, and Georgetown Honda. This week, baseball has taken Josh Ranikiti some pretty amazing places, but only one, as our viewers on YouTube will see, gave him the opportunity to get publicly laid on the field by a dance troupe. It's the place that I never would have gone, I don't think, or thought about going to if it wasn't for baseball and they kind of came out of nowhere i mean and now here's a guy who has never been publicly laid i'm not even sure he's ever been privately laid it's barry davis first of all for those that are listening and not watching we're talking about wearing a lay as you would in a place like hawaii i have seen pictures of your trip to hawaii but i didn't see you with a lay on i so. was so for those that are listening and not watching first of all Start watching the show because it's really cool to see. Secondly, uh, our guest, former Toronto Blue Jay, former Minnesota Twin, former Cincinnati, well, it goes on and on. Josh Renicky joins us, and he's played in a bunch of different countries. And when you see this video, and I don't even think Josh knows that we came up with this video. <laughs> Not him, uh, he had a big season, a very, very big season. And, uh, well, this is how they celebrate their baseball heroes there. So you'll get a chance to see that. Uh, this week, we will also introduce you to yet another young Toronto Blue Jays prospect. We love doing this. And uh, thank you so much to the folks at Lake Ridge Sports Management who have helped line up a number of these guests for us, including the guy that we're going to talk to this week, and that is Marcus Reyes, a young left-handed pitcher who, Tom, he's not your prototypical type of pitcher that we see in the year 2021. And this is a good thing. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to this guy. It's we this type of pitchers come up in a lot of our conversations. It came up in our conversation with Estrada. It came up in our conversation with Mr. Burley. Um, you know, it's why aren't there those finesse pitchers, those control pitchers out there that are rising through the ranks? Why is it all these flamethrowers? And this young man is one of those finesse pitchers, and he's having one heck of a lot of success. I can't wait to share the talk. Marcus Reyes will join us this week. Uh, we'll also talk about, well, you know what, Tom? The Blue Jays have so many pitchers that have been injured. You lose track. And there was a guy they had early on in the season who was just firing on all cylinders, and he's gone with a shoulder impingement. What exactly does that mean? Rosh Sapaya will tell us. Up next, though, Tom, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Showing up players on the field, missed calls by umpires. But we're going to begin with a very heartwarming story that is up next there's tom forth on barry davis you're listening to and watching out of the park ladies and gentlemen girls and boys the first pitch with barry davis and the first pitch is brought to you by the fine folks at manscaped.com thomas you use this i use this raj sapaya uses this and we are very close to landing our next customer, Matt, the producer, McFarland, the guy that you replaced, right? Uh, he, he could use one of these, too. Well, Matt, you know what? Matt was first to the OTP family. I was first to the Manscaped family. So Yes, you were. Let me, let me just say to Matt, Matt, it's 7,000 RPMs of superb control in your hand. I know you work hard all day doing lots of landscaping, digging. This will make you a much cleaner, tidier, happier landscaper. Get the lawnmower by Manscaped. That's right. You don't want to do any more digging when you get home from work. So 
use this, and there'll be no need for that. And here's the deal. Out of the park listeners and viewers, special promotion for you. Go to the website, manscaped.com. Put in the promo code out of the park. You will save 20% and you'll get free shipping. Get one of these wonderful lawnmower 4.0s today from Manscaped. And listen, yes, they make it specifically designed to do the groinal area. However, this is a wonderful razor to use anywhere on the body. I've been using it on my beard. You see how nice and trim my beard looks right now? It looks fantastic. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Manscaped.com is the place to go. Uh, more business to take care of. On a personal note, uh, at my job, Georgetown Honda, we are pumped because this past week, the brand new redesigned 2022 Honda Civics arrived. Tom, these cars are freaking gorgeous. I had a chance to drive one. I've never, and I'm not BSing here, I've never sat in a car seat this comfortable. <laughs> it just took me in. I hear they look like Accords. Like, they look really, really, like, fine. They, they took all of the great qualities of the Accord and put it into the Civic. So even the base model of the Civics fully got great, great features in it. So that's all cool. Uh, you can always DM me. Come see me. Georgetown Honda. You don't even need an appointment now. We are open for business. Let's talk. Uh, I just uh, was happy enough to help one of our longtime out-of-the-park listeners get herself a new car. Uh, Jen Perizzo, who's been a listener from day one, her sister Sarah, who I've met, just picked up, picked up a car for me, and uh, she lives all the way in Sarnia. So we did all of the paperwork remotely. She just has to come to Sarnia to pick up the car, come from Sarnia. So that's really cool. Now, as you recall, Tom, last year I was doing a little work for the fine folks at Miller Lite, and they had a, a couple of little neat promotions going on. Well, it just so happens I was also a calendar guy last year for Miller Lite. Yeah, you were you were a you were a pinup Barry. Exactly. Well Miller Lite has a cool contest right now where you can buy Tom, I'm gonna show it to you right now. This is the perfect baseball glove for me. As you can see, this is a real Rawlings baseball glove. But attached you've got this. And what it is, it's made to catch yourself a beer. So you go to the ball game, and you go, I'll have a Miller Lite, and they throw it, and you catch it in there. And then here's the cool thing. You catch the beer, and then you take this off, and you've got yourself a coaster for the beer. Boom. Pretty cool, wow. right? We're, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see the website on your screen right now, and uh, go to that website, and that's how you can enter this contest to win one of these. Is it true that Miller came up with the idea for that extra assistance, watching you feel balls from the, uh, from the camera bay? So the Toronto Blue Jays, the other, yes, I don't know. I mean, I would like to think that I inspired them, but I don't. I don't think that happened. Okay, uh, let's do the bad first, and then we'll get into the heartwarming good. Okay. So last week, Toronto Blue Jays just had a, a, an absolutely miserable week in New York. Well, <laughs> it was in Buffalo, but it was still in New York because they had all the Yankee fans there. So that's a that's another story for another day. They got to get the hell out of. I love Buffalo, but. There are just not enough Blue Jay fans in that state to keep keep it feeling like a home game. So we need the Blue Jays back home, number one. Uh, number two, we saw Ross Stripling literally lose it on Joe Panic. He apologized to Joe in the dugout, apologized to the team, and then apologized on social media. Tom, uh, we are going to, on our next show, we're going to be joined by Homer Bush, and as a former infielder, we'll find out what it's like. 
if he's even had that experience before. But from a baseball fan's perspective, Thomas, what did you make of that whole situation? From a human's perspective, I loved every minute of it. What? What? Um, what? Yep. Listen, I, I think that you see some of the best in humanity sometimes after seeing some of the worst in humanity. And, you know, we want our baseball team to be passionate. You look at look at the Blue Jays Twitter right now. You know, the Jays are having some tough times and you think it's the end of the world. People are losing their minds on Twitter. And so we had a pitcher who lost his mind, who behaved inappropriately. He did the wrong thing. And then, oh man, I wish every politician, every person out there could, could look at how he handled the mistake he made. Yep. You know what? He, he didn't try and hide it. He didn't, you know, you know, shuffle it under the deck or whatever he confronted it he apologized he didn't make any dumb excuses right so so we saw an unbelievably passionate player a team having really hard times things boiled over he did something he shouldn't have and he made up for it i think this could be a real bellwether and really help this team come together yeah uh it, it didn't quite work the next game where <laughs> the blue jays hit into a triple play that you just don't see every day. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen a triple play quite like this in my life. And Thomas, I think what we saw in that play was a microcosm of what is going on in Blue Jay land right now. There's just a lot of messed up things. This is a young team absolutely bursting with talent. But that talent right now needs to be harnessed a little bit. It needs to be refined a little bit. And that is where the arguments, of course, of Charlie Montoyo come to mind. And many are saying that maybe he's not the right guy for this job. It's too early this season for me to, to say one way or the other whether he's not the right man for the job. And for most cases, I will say that I haven't ripped the crap out of him for moves that he's made because I understand how, uh, you know, how strapped he is for talent right now on that team because of the number of injuries. But and the thing here's the other thing too, Tom. We don't know if he has autonomy. We don't know if yep. taking Ryu out after six innings was his decision, or it was management saying, "Listen, we can't have this guy go over a certain amount of pitches or innings." Or even worse, analytics, right? Oh, but yeah. but that's where we're at in MLB. That's that's you know that's where we're at. So yeah, you're right. It's um, I just look at the bullpen right now. It's it's you know what. Two was a Dolis, and it was two pitchers in one game, right against mm -hmm. New York, and it's they're they're just get they're getting knocked around every day, and well, who's Montoyo going to put in, right? Mm -hmm. I, before I, I'm I'm all for blaming the manager. If if we had a bunch of great relievers, there's been a quite, you know a few times where we wanted Romano in, say right rather mm -hmm. than Dolis and, and you know there there's some like minor quibbling here or there but what you've got is like a systemic meltdown in your pitching staff injury driven and they're trying their best so before I go calling for a manager's head let's get the bullpen like at least stable right yeah. and we don't even know the effect that George Springer is going to have because no he doesn't pitch okay folks but him being in the lineup all of a sudden sets a domino effect to the rest of the lineup. And maybe somebody who wouldn't normally be in the lineup is not in the lineup. So that definitely helps. And, and really, the Jays need to 
need to address the bullpen, and they need to do it now. This is not normally the time of year for trades. Okay, so maybe not look at trades. But there are other things this team can do to improve the bullpen, and they've got to do it now, or it's going to be too late. Okay? All right. We've talked enough negativity. Let's talk about something positive. As you know, Tom, a few months ago, we spoke uh, with both Justin Smoke and his wife, Kristen, separately. Justin went to Japan to continue his baseball career. He was doing a really great job. And then, well, take a look at this. Daddy! Daddy! Hey! Daddy! Why? <laughs> I scare you? <laughs> Tom, one of the things we pride ourselves on here at Out of the Park is delivering the human side of sports. I don't think anything describes the human side of sports more than Justin Smoke coming home and saying, you know what, baseball is great. I love it. I'm great at it. But my family's number one. Yeah. What? Uh, and, and obviously we've been following this uh, since we spoke to them um, when they announced this move. And... It has been such an amazing story watching him rake in Japan. Just like his OPS is over 800. Uh, he's got like somewhere close to 20 home runs or something like that. But, you know, what happened is, yeah, it was harder than they thought to get him over there. It was harder to get the family over there. And then when that became impossible, you know, Justin made probably as a father, like one of the most amazing heartwarming decisions I've ever seen. And he came home to his family. Wow, yeah. What a wonderful human being Justin Smoke is. What a wonderful moment that is. And we are working on hopefully getting the Smokes back on the show together uh, once they settle in and we kind of get an idea of how things are going and the decision that went into that. So still to come on the show, Josh Renicky. And wow, there's some great stories coming from the former Toronto Blue Jay, uh, former Minnesota Twin, former Cincinnati Red. Uh, where else did he play? He played in Mexico. He played in China. Guys played everywhere. So we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk to Josh Renicky. Uh, We'll also talk to Raj Sapaya about another Toronto Blue Jay injury. This one goes back, though. This was a guy who was part of the bullpen earlier in the season, and we thought he was going to be a, a keeper for them. Now Travis Bergen is just not playing. He's got a shoulder impingement. Raj will tell us what that is. But it is now time once again for us to introduce you to another Toronto Blue Jays prospect. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis. You're watching and listening to Out of the Park. Joining us now is future Toronto Blue Jay. And Tom, we got to get the right description because this came from his agent himself. Future Toronto Blue Jay fan favorite, right? Marcus Reyes joins us now. Come on, he, he. This is his job to pump your tires, right? Yeah, yeah. He's supposed to, but that's. I think that's a little too much, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we all are excited about you becoming a Toronto Blue Jay one day, but one thing that really is going to have to change in your bio is that whole Yankee love type thing. That doesn't go over very well with Jays fans. So, you know, you, you can still have your favorite Yankee players, but you can't love the team. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> I my parents. Grew up in New York and New Jersey, so they kind of just became huge Yankee fans and stuff like that. But 
since I've been a Blue Jay, I haven't really been following them or anything. I'm more of a Padres fan just because I grew up in San Diego. And oh, Tony Gwynn was my head coach for one year of college. So kind of, you know, loyalty. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing you can say bad about San Diego because Ron Burgundy was correct. It is the greatest city in the world. It is the greatest city ever. Yes. <laughs> so as, as a pitcher, um, what was it like being coached by one of the greatest hitters maybe of all time? I mean, unfortunately, since he wasn't, you know, a pitcher, he never really gave us tips and whatnot, but he was one of the most humble, caring, nicest people in the world. I mean, his attention to detail, just watching our hitters during batting practice was unbelievable. He'd just sit there on his chair and dissect you all the way down to your how your eyes were, you know, during a, uh, an at-bat or just a normal swing. But he was, I mean, I say he's the greatest hitter of all time, but that's just a little bias on my side. But he was just one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. And he treated you like a normal human being. He never talked down to you, never thought he was greater than you. He was just... He was just TG, you know, just that's all I could say about him. I have been covering baseball since the early 90s, and I've had the opportunity on many occasions to to chat with him and stick a microphone in his face. And you're right, just a, a truly incredible human being. And he did so much, not just for the game, but just for life in general. Uh, your story about your first meeting with him is absolutely hilarious. And I know you've told this probably many times, but... Our audience hasn't heard it yet, so please tell us about the uh, the day you met him. So, you know, leading up to meeting Coach Gwynn, the only Hall of Famer I've ever met before was Dave Winfield. Uh, I played his son in a travel ball tournament, and he was getting swarmed by so many people. So, you know, I was one of those people. I was 12 years old. Um, but, yeah, I, I go on my first unofficial visit to SCSU, and the pitching coach and the assistant coach at the time, Mark Martinez, who – took over after the untimely death, but they're showing me around the facilities and everything. And we're going down the tunnel towards the baseball field. And they say, Hey, you're about to meet Tony. And in my head, I was like, Oh my God, Tony Gwynn. Like I'm from Vista, California. I'm 30 minutes North of San Diego. I I've been watching this guy since I was a kid. He's just, he's the greatest hitter of all time. The guy's just amazing. And walking down the tunnel and I see him and he's just sitting there in his chair with a huge smile on his face. And I just say, I just get stuck and I go, nice to meet you, Mr. Winfield. Oh! Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and he shuffles, you know, plays it off, you know, being the great guy he is, he goes, nice to meet you too, kid. And like, I, I knew I messed up instantly, right? And we walk away and they show me, like introducing me to the team and like they're doing BP and stuff like that. And in my head, I'm like, dang, I just messed up so bad. So, so bad. There's no way this guy wants me. I just called him a different human being. And uh, <laughs> turn around, we come back up, going back up towards the tunnel. And I say, it was an, it was an honor, Coach Gwynn. And he goes, that's better. And like, gave me a little like chuckle, like a side chuckle. And then, you know, walked off. But uh, just one of the, you know, great things about him, I Complete. I don't know if that would be disrespectful to him. I don't know like what his relationship with Dave Winfield was or anything, but he played it off. He, you know, he knew that I was starstruck and he just accepted it. And he never really made fun of me for it, even when I was at SCSU. Yeah, you know, I hate to take the focus off of a Hall of Famer, but I'd love to talk about you a little bit. Um, you know, on the show just a couple months back, we we were lucky enough to talk with former Blue Jay Marco Estrada. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came up is Estrada was a pitcher that didn't have that blistering 98, 99 mile an hour fastball. And one of the questions that we asked him was why there weren't more young pitchers coming up that were sort of leaning towards that control game, why they were all trying to blow the doors down and 98 seemed the only way to be successful. But now, you know, we've got we've got you on the line here and I'm looking at an absolutely unbelievable you know, career ERA, you're just roaring your way through the minors. I think you're, what is it, two six seven for this year. Um, and you're doing it on what could be argued as a bit more of a finesse arsenal, throwing around 91, 92, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, like topping nip that. So I guess it's sort of a two-part question, you know, who are the pitchers that you looked at as a young pitcher growing up and aspired to be like? And then the second part is, what is it about you that is, you know, responsible for all these fantastic numbers despite not having those blistering numbers, fastballs? Okay. Um, well, growing up, a couple guys, I mean, Andy Pettit, Cliff Lee, you know, two left-handed pitchers that didn't throw hard, but obviously in that era, I mean, 90 to 92 was considered hard. But, you know, two guys that didn't throw hard, but they had good off-speed pitches they were able to locate. I mean, I'll never forget Cliff Lee's season with the Indians where he went 22-3 and three or something like that and just completely dominated. And all he did was just spot up a fastball, low and away, and threw his get-me-over curveball every time. Um, and then as I started getting older, Clayton Kershaw, I mean, just obviously sticking to the lefties, but I've loved watching Kershaw, and especially now that he's older and he's lost that velo, and he's thrown his fastball around 90 to 92, sometimes three, sometimes four, but seeing how he still has success, even though when most pitchers lose their velo, they tend to, you know, have a lesser career. He's still able to compete at a high level. I mean, those are the guys I've kind of grown up idolizing as pitchers. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess what helps with my success so far, what's been my biggest successor so far is that uh, a lot of guys in the org call me tricky. so like I have like an I have a, a different throwing motion I guess like I kind of do a Dontrell Willis and I'll turn towards second base when no one's on base and you know fire it towards home plate but so I hide the ball really well and I'm able to mix, uh, mix my pitches throw backwards a lot I mean I'll start guys off a lot with curveballs and sliders and changeups and then come back with like my sinker or four seamer later in the at bat but just, you know, a lot of guys nowadays are so ramped to hit 98, you know, 95 and 98 that when they see a soft tosser coming in, they're just like, it's almost unexpected. We're a dying breed almost. I hate to say it, but so that's, I guess that's what's been helping me out a lot. I'm a lefty and I'm a, I'm a dying breed of not hard throwers. So when I come in and I'm throwing a change up on the plate, you know, on the black or something like that, compared to a guy that's coming out of the bullpen that's throwing you know, mid to upper 90s. I'm just a complete different person out there. Did anyone ever try to change you? Coaches, anyone along the way say, listen, kid, you need you need fast cheese if you're going to get guys out in the league? Um, I've been put on, like, I've been put on velo programs and stuff like that, and they've helped with, like, my overall, like, kind of like my, I guess, my base numbers and stuff like that. Like, those have increased. But, I mean, it's just... Uh, I'm a lot of people, at least in the baseball world knows that if you throw 95 and above, like that was a God given arm that was given to you, you know, like it's, it's very, very hard to obtain something like that. And people do do it through hard work, you know, sometimes um, 
sometimes they get lucky and they it clicks and they figure it out. I remember Charlie Morton, who's with the Braves now, he used to be a sinker bowler, 88 to 92. And one day he just said, I just tried throwing hard. And now he throws mid to upper 90s. But, you know, most people are born with it. People, some, A lot of people, everyone works through it. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone's lazy about it. I worked my tail off all quarantine to get my velo up and stuff. And, you know, it's a couple ticks higher, but to for those elite guys that throw 95 and above, I mean, hats off to them, man. They were born with it and they were able to rock with it. You, you mentioned quarantine. Um, real hard time for for young ball players. one would imagine. Uh, how was your quarantine? How did you feel coming out of it? Um, quarantine was tough. You know, being in California, uh, just we were locked down almost the entire time. I, I wasn't able to get into a gym until mid-December when I had a lot of teammates who were in, you know, the, the South, Texas, Arizona, um, that were able to get in almost basically right away, like right when we left camp and stuff like that. So it was tough. I, I played catch like four or five times a week with my neighbor who was a childhood best friend of mine. And we played baseball together in high school. Um, and he grind, he had a bum shoulder and he was grinding it out with me, but facilities were hard to get to. Um, Cause in the beginning, my pitching coach, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. I mean, California was so restrictive. You couldn't go to a park outside and, do anything I got kicked out of a four a four field park and I was the only person there so um yeah sounds was, like Ontario sounds like yeah, yeah, up here. you guys you guys know exactly what I'm talking about right now it's uh yep. it was really tough in the beginning and then all like the outdoor activity stuff kind of opened up so um I was able to get back in the swing of things with bullpens and like an, a legit throwing program with my coach out there um but it was tough just not being able to get into the gym until mid-December. Just I just felt, you know, weak and deflated and almost all quarantine. All right, let's let's talk about something a little more interesting, exciting, and positive and important. Uh, Tom and I, both being musicians, uh, have been absolutely turned on by more love from Revolution, which yeah. is your walk. Okay, so. Man, I got to tell you something. As a musician, I should have known that song better than I do. But, dude, I love I love whenever you can blend a bunch of different genres of music and that little reggae in there. So what what made this your song? Because this for people watching, listening, this is your walkout song. And we played the video leading into this conversation. Tell us about uh, Revolution. So Red's my favorite band. I mean, uh, them and Dave, I, I like I play the guitar, too. I'm probably not as skilled as you guys and whatnot. But, like, you know, I pick it up and I do finger style arrangement and stuff like that. Sorry about that. Hey, can, you, can you tell them to shut up? We're trying to do something important here. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I love Revolution. I mean, they. I love music for what instruments, you know? I love instruments, so I love hearing a piano in the background or some, the reggae strum, you know? Like, people don't really know that. Just like a different kind of uh, strumming of the guitar. Um, so like Revolution really piqued my interest when I was a young kid and I've loved all their music all the way until now. I mean, shoot, I listen to them almost every day. How big a pump up do you get? Because, you know, I've, I would have always thought it would be relatively negligible, but my young son plays baseball and they had one of their first practices since quarantine the other night. And in the field next to them was a bagpiper troop. And the kids did not like it. And, and my think? son said he had a terrible practice. It was bugging them. But, you know, 
when you're surrounded by music and you know, you're walking out there to like your favorite tune, does it give you like a real physical like rush? Do you perform better when you're listening to good jams? Yeah. So like for mine, I mean, more love makes me happy, like makes me feel happy. Um, so when I hear it and I'm out there on the mound, I just get into this good, <laughs> just, yeah, I just get into like a happy mode and I'm out there and just kind of feel like nothing can really affect me right now. Um, so, I mean, when people block out, I mean, some people have rap, some people have metal or rock, you know, so it's whatever gets them into their mode. But for me, I just, when I go out there, I just like to enjoy the moment. And that's why Rev just clicks with me so much as my walkout. See, this is why, Tom, I mean, Major League Baseball has all this great technology, right? We're talking about robot umps. We're talking about this and that. Let let the pitchers come out to the mound with earbuds and their phone in their back pocket and just have the tunes going while you're pitching. Like, what do you really need to hear, right? If there's a pop-up, you know someone else is getting it, right? You don't need to hear, right? The catcher's giving you the signals. Just crank the tunes and pitch, man. Can you imagine what that would be like? Yeah, no, I mean – I, I feel like there would be a lot more no-hitters, actually, because uh, guys would be in a good mood all the time, you know? Yeah, I never thought about it that way before, because you always think – you think of, like, baseball diamond. I think of it like kitchens, right? Like, it's nice to have music, but you got to be able to hear what's going on. But I don't know. Yeah. That could really like, – how many times does a pitcher need to hear someone else calling for a pop-up, right? Well, I love – especially, like, going on the road, I love listening to opposing teams' walkout songs, because I just love <laughs> – like I'll, sometimes I'll head bod to it like when I hear a good song or something and I'm on the mound you know ready to pitch against them so I love it I think you know music and sports is awesome well let's face it what other sport out there offers players that much free time during the course of a game where I mean you know you see guys in the outfield that may not catch a ball night and they're busy chewing their sunflower seeds and you know they they've got their notes in their hat but I'm actually thinking that they're they're reading twitter or something like that right like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're bored. But baseball allows all this time. So, like, when you are between pitches, um, and Tom and I spoke with a former Blue Jay, Jason Fraser, who was notorious for taking a long, long time between pitches. And he told us on the show that between pitches, what would go through his mind is, okay, if I throw a ball here, I'm going to put this guy on. That's going to put this guy on base, which would mean the tying run is going to come up. And if this guy, and all this crap's going through his head. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice if you could just sing a song in your mind during that time do you have anything that goes through your head between pitches or are you a quick worker uh, i'm usually a fast worker uh in college my pitching coach always had this thing like seven seconds or less so just basically throw the ball get back on the rubber but uh, a lot of times i'll sing a song in my head while i'm pitching um just whatever song comes up well, i don't know it's something if i'm feeling i remember it started in high school and that was when taylor swift was taking over so a lot of times it was like taylor swift in my head and then that's hard to get out once it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good at what she does. But, yeah, I carry over to college and then now I'm pro ball. But, you know, most times just um, the only thing I'm thinking about is if what pitch that I just set up the hitter or something like that and where they're standing in the box. But other than that, usually singing a song or just trying to, you know, flush out the nerves on the mound. How big a factor are nerves for you? Is it something that's, like, really distressing before you go out or is it just sort of a minor – Minor. I mean, I'm not usually, I love competing so much. I mean, good or bad. I just love going out there and getting a chance to play. Um, so it doesn't really affect me. I remember my very first professional outing when I was drafted in the GCL, like my heart was racing and I was super nervous, but ever since that outing, I mean, in pro ball, just the nerves have never really affected me. So one of the things that you are also doing when you're not playing baseball is you're creating 
clothing and a cool line that you have, right? Um, so I'm going to show you something really cool, and I'm going to plug this, and then you can plug your thing. So the fine folks at Miller Lite have a great contest, and they, they sent me this. And it is a Rawlings glove that allows you to actually catch a beer. So wow. you're sitting in the stands, and you order your beer. I'm a lefty, too, so this is absolutely useless to me. But And then the, uh, the pocket here becomes oh, a coaster. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, for somebody who, who's into that kind of thing, it's pretty cool that they came up with something real cool like that, right? That's now, cool. yeah. okay, tell us about what you got into because you, you will become the second Marcus, and I'm predicting you will be the second Marcus to become a pitcher on the Toronto Blue Jays and have their own clothing line. Yeah, so uh, so one of one of the guys in the org, Sean Rakowski, he's in New Hampshire. Um, in 2019, when we were in Lansing, we were always talking about starting some kind of clothing line or business or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to the offseason, I worked at this startup company for my offseason job, learned a lot from my buddy that brought me on and then the CEO and the owner. Um, and then as spring training was nearing, I – you know, reached out to Rack and I just said, Hey, I think we should start a business. I learned a lot this off season. I know you're good at what you do. Like, let's do it. And so we went to spring training and we were like, what should we do? What should we do? Uh, we thought of clothing. We thought of anything all the way to like agave straws. Um, <laughs> and then we came with our company rare company, which is Rakowski Reyes company. Um, and it's, you know, it's an out, it's an outdoor enthusiast company. We have backpacks, sunglasses, and then our clothing line. Um, and it was just really cool. It's been a really cool experience. It kind of sucked that we started it during quarantine because when we originally birthed the idea, we were in spring training and the world was normal. And then we were too far committed by the time quarantine hit and everything. We just, we couldn't have stopped. We had to keep going. So it's been fun. I mean, we killed it in the first year. Um, or at least we thought we killed it. You know, we didn't have really any basis um, to just judge it off of, but it's been fun. I mean, just trying to talk to suppliers and then learn about customers, learn about marketing. It's just been a, just one fun ride this last year and a half. Do you find it difficult sometimes to balance the business and the, and the baseball? Yeah, sometimes, because we'll get like orders and stuff like that. And we have to okay the transaction and then I have it shipped out from my home back in California. So it's like, sometimes an order will be sitting there for multiple hours cause I'm at the field and I can't do anything about it. And sometimes I think that the customer is going to get mad cause it hasn't been approved or hasn't been shipped yet. Um, but you know, other than that, like other than that one problem right there, it hasn't really been too hard to focus on. We have a marketing team that works. We work with, uh, back home and they run almost all the market or they run all the marketing. So it's been real easy for us to just focus on the product line while they interact with the audience. Well, here's what we're going to do, Marcus. We're going to give you an opportunity now to plug the hell out of your company. Let our listeners and viewers know where they can get some of your stuff. For those that are watching the show, we're going to be showing some of these uh, the cool uh, things from your line. And are you wearing are you wearing your own clothing now? I am not right now. No, my. Uh, oh come on, man! Yeah, I'm not. How are you supposed to plug it with you're not wearing? It? I know. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking about it. Sorry, it's all right. It's all right. But uh, yeah, where can people go if they want uh, to grab some of this stuff? So you just go to uh, adventurerare.com. Real easy. I mean, the site's pretty easy to navigate. We have eco-friendly wind sunglasses. We've been trying to be real eco-friendly with all our material. Uh, they're made out of 
balsa wood, bamboo, you name it, any kind of wood, just trying to reduce all the plastic waste that's being used in the world. Uh, we have outdoor backpacks that are magnetic buckled, so you never have to worry about strapping them in and out super hard. Love it. And they have two huge water pockets. So, if, I mean, if you have a huge liter of water, big hydros or Yetis or whatever, they fit perfectly. It has a, a laptop compartment in it that's padded. So, you know, you could bring your laptop wherever you go. And if you were to drop it, your laptop would be a, a lot safer if it wasn't in a padded area. So, and then we have our clothing line, which Rack dedicated himself to customizing all the clothing from shirts to uh, neck gaiters, hats, everything. Um, he created the logo and everything. He killed it with all that. So, and we have flasks too. We have rare flasks. So they're like 15 milliliter flasks. And they're perfect. I mean, little little getaway drink you ever want. Just perfect to sneak into a ballpark, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I tell you what. So my wife has been working at Bass Pro for many years now, and I'm thinking this stuff would sell amazingly there. You need to reach out to Bass Pro. And when you come to Toronto, because you're going to be a Blue Jay one day, when you come to Toronto, the – the, the fans here are going to just love your stuff and they're going to buy this stuff like crazy. So you, you've got that to look forward to. And if all that else fails, when you become a blue Jay, Tom and I are cordially inviting you on stage with us and we'll do some jamming. Oh, I got to do a lot of practicing before then. <laughs> well, That's all right. yeah. You say you're a finger style guitar enthusiast. Yeah, I love finger style arrangement. You've got that's the right guy of, right that's here. That's kind of my jam. So, Oh, wow. Really? Tom also teaches, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll message from you this off season. Tom, I tell you what, I'm what we're gonna do is I'm going to I'm going to send Marcus one of your uh, one of your videos that you've done because oh cool, you kick ass. He's a great guitarist. Uh, he's he's very modest, but he's a great guitarist. So. Yeah, I'm, I so, I kind of try to self taught teach myself. I just went on YouTube and just watched guitarists, and then I just follow how their fingers go. Well, there you go. Hey, I got a great. We'll work out a deal like clothing for lessons. Yeah, yeah. There right. we go. Yeah, yeah, that works. I think you have to run that by rack real quick, but yeah, yeah. I could do that. <laughs> All right. We've talked enough business. Listen, man, uh, what a pleasure meeting you. Uh, you guys, yeah. we we, we, we got to work on your clothing next time you come on the show. Oh, your wall your wall art isn't bad. Uh, it's not the greatest. There's there's no dig me stuff behind you, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, listen, thank you so much for doing this. All the best the rest of the season. And again, we're really looking forward to seeing your career and, and see yourself progress throughout the year. So uh, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. We are joined once again by our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. As I am sporting on the shirt for those watching, very cool logo, Raj Sapaya. Thanks. Can you explain, like, who created the logo and what is it? Because I remember I used to work at a TV station many years ago, and they had a logo that no one had any idea what it what it meant. <laughs> um, it really, like, it was a graphic designer who did it, but um, you know, the it, it represents the spine, um, you know, like the the spine of your body, but it's just a bit more stylized, looks cool, and and obviously the name of our clinic, the Foundation Physiotherapy. We want to treat the whole person. We want to treat the individuals. We want to treat your foundation of who you are. Um, the spine is, you know, a large part of your body, so that kind of all connected. And blue is a nice warm color, and so it all just kind of fit in. And it was a, it was a, it was worth the graphic designer money. I'm not gonna lie. 
and worth the visit. Three locations and an online location. You've got Front Street, you've got the Cork Town, and you have the Core. The Core, exactly. And we're open for business. Uh, Toronto's opening up. We're all been double vaxxed, um, you know, and, and it's safer. And we have just happy to see you in the clinic. Also happy to see you online if that's what you choose. Or if it's too far for you, give us a call. We're happy to help you. All right, let's get to the Toronto Blue Jays and the weekly injury news. And uh, Raj, the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen has been an absolute mess pretty much for the last couple of months. And they've had injury after injury. Uh, now you've got Travis Bergen, who is now injured with a shoulder impingement. Okay, so when I think of a pitcher, I think a shoulder, that's not good. Is an impingement anything that we should be really concerned about? Uh, it hurts to tell. They, again, they haven't told us the degree of the impingement, but uh, if we think of the shoulder as a ball and socket joint, right, if we look at, a, look at my shoulder here, um, you know, the, the ball comes as part of my humerus, which is the arm, the socket is my scapula, which the humerus sits in. Uh, it's it's a rotational joint, right? Uh, so imagine there's supposed to be space in our in our ball and socket. And impingement is when you know over, over time, over use, uh, a, a, a tendon or a ligament inside the space gets pinched by a position of the shoulder. And obviously, you can imagine a pitcher who's doing a lot of that forward throwing motion. Likely it's a forward impingement, like an anterior impingement, which means some structure in the front is getting pitched. It happens a lot with the regular population, but obviously with an athlete, uh, you see it more often. So depending on the degree, it could be, you know, a matter of two weeks or, or two months, just depending on the degree of, what's, of how much is a pinch. But I feel like they've caught it early. So you're probably looking at something more on the two-week timeline. Would an impingement be... Uh, I, I myself, unfortunately, have a, a whole bunch of experience with shoulder injuries, so this yeah. piques my curiosity as well. Would an impingement be something that would be treated more seriously or less seriously than a dislocation or maybe a subluxation even? Oh, oh no, a dislocation or a subluxation is worse, Tom. Um, a dislocation means like your, your bones are actually, you know, they become dislocated. An impingement just means that the space of the bone has gotten like, tighter. Uh, so really, you really have also been a stretching and a little bit of retraining and, and you know, impingement's quite common. A lot of regular population gets an impingement. I would say like most of my shoulder patients have an impingement, um, but a dislocation is a lot more traumatic and, and dislocation you're looking at like three months before you return. Sub subluxation too, for sure.
going home. Now from Florida, seems every week we're going to Florida, Tom. Uh, former Toronto Blue Jay, former Cincinnati Red. Uh, there's a lot of teams. So, Josh, if, you, if you'd like to list off your teams uh, before we continue. All right, let's go. Cincinnati, Toronto, Colorado, Minnesota, Washington Nationals. Back to Colorado from there. Milwaukee, Anaheim Angels, Puebla in Mexico and then Taiwan for three years, the last three years. I have a feeling we're going to talk about a number of those stops over the next uh, little mm -hmm. bit. But uh, before we even begin, I I'm just curious to know your take. And you see what's happening with the Toronto Blue Jays roster right now. And they have Biggio's kid. They've got Vladdy's kid. They've got uh, Bichette's kid. There are a lot of young players whose fathers played in the major leagues like yours did. What has changed now is with social media, like every day Tom and I have been talking about this, there's this picture of Vladdy Sr. and a picture of Vladdy Jr. comparing the stats of the two. And I'm thinking how that must suck for a young player uh, whose dad was a major leaguer to always be compared. What was that like for you as you were working your way through the system? Because we're not just talking your dad. I mean, also your uncle too, right? So what was that like for you? I mean, I don't think it was anywhere close to what it would be like today, and especially with me being a pitcher and both them were outfielders. So it's kind of hard to compare in that sense. But I mean, I played outfield coming up my whole life, high school and then college and kind of converted. So it wasn't even close. I mean, with the social media and comparisons, I never really heard it. You know, I just kind of handled my business, would go to them for advice just about the game in general or, you know, it does work being a hitter and then. Like me being a pitcher now, I feel like I'd be a lot better hitter because I know so much more. So them two being hitters and then watching me pitch, they can kind of give me little tidbits about how to set hitters up and, and, and so forth. But comparison-wise, it was no, nothing like what these guys probably go through today. You know, as hard as it is to live up to the comparisons, you know, it, it's, it's obviously a pattern in Major League Baseball that seems to run in families. You know, in your own, with your own experience and your own sort of story, were there a lot of really big benefits to growing up as part of a, a baseball family like that, that helped get you to being a major leaguer? Yeah, I think baseball is such a skilled sport. I kind of compare it to golf in that sense. You see these kids that start at such a young age with golf and it seems like they have such an advantage when, as you get older, because it's hard to pick those, those skill sets up and just kind of go with it where other sports just, if you're a freak athlete, and super athletic, you can kind of pick it up and go with it and more instinctive. But this with baseball is such a, a skill set and developing, developing those and um, starting at five years old and playing every year my whole life. And then having my dad being in the big leagues, my uncle in the big leagues, my older brother loved baseball. So I was always watching him and getting feedback from him. So it was just always there. And even though it wasn't my favorite, you know, I loved football, I loved basketball, but to be able to go from those two you know, I played all three in high school and then in college I played football as well, but then kind of dropping all those and just focusing on baseball just gave me a great advantage with already having all that ingrained in me and then kind of picking up and, and flying with it when I could finally focus on just that. Did you have any clue as a young kid just how freaking lucky you were to be at a ballpark every day and have the access that you had and 
you know, you're probably looking around and you're seeing kids your age in the stands, like holding out things they want, autographs and stuff, and you're thinking, why are they there? And I'm on the field every day. Like, when did it sick, uh, you know, kind of hit you that, wow, this is actually pretty cool, and I'm pretty lucky to have this opportunity. I think um, you mean when I was as a as a player. You mean? You know, as a kid, I mean, when you're at the ballpark all the time as a kid, you know, or, you know, being in that environment, being able to, you know, hey, your dad was playing in the major leagues. Not too many people's dads do that. Right. I, I think obviously at the time, I, I was young at the time, but didn't think about it. But then, yeah, as you get older, just thinking back with me having kids now, how cool it'd be to to bring them in the clubhouse. And I was always in the clubhouse with my dad and we'd go on the field after and, and play around. And you, you just don't think about it at the time because it's just kind of your norm. But yeah, it's. It, and then I started, then I was a player in the big ways. You see kids that are out there, you know, begging for a ball or this or that. And it's like, just to make their day by giving them a ball is, is pretty special. But for, like you said, for me to be able to go out on the field and participate and see Ripken and those guys and just be in the clubhouse with them is, it was pretty special. And I was kind of, you know, blessed to be able to grow up in that. We kind of touched on uh, all the all the the teams that you've been with in your career, and you know baseball's taking you to some pretty special places. Obviously, starting off playing on a big league field as a kid amongst those big guys is a pretty special place. But baseball's also taking you to some amazing places: the Taiwan and the Chinese Baseball League, South America as well. Um, what is if you had to to just throw one out there, like the coolest? craziest experience you've ever had because of baseball the craziest experience um now you've done it tom now you're making the guy think on a sunday morning you're making him think uh, yeah nothing stands out with crazy but just going on touching on what you said like i, I think about it now as i'm older like it's it, it is unbelievable i think it's been like four continents and like five different countries i've been able to play a game in and get paid while doing it like it's it's so special and such such a blessing to be able to do that and you know being 38 now and just finishing in Taiwan in September but it's those are places I never would have gone I don't think or thought about going to if it wasn't for baseball and they kind of came out of nowhere I mean Dominican was a winter ball I got a call I'm like okay Venezuela happened this was before it, was, it got like super dangerous but I was like I mean I've never been there let's give that a shot and then Taiwan happened I was going back to Mexico which was a very fun league in 17 was heading back in 18 I got a call from Taiwan I'd never been over there, never been in any of the Asian countries at all. And I was like, I mean, what opportunity this is to go across the world in an area I've never been to and and uh, was there for three years in a row. So it's it's brought me to a lot of places and countries I never would have been to. And uh, just to think back and playing kids game at my age, you know, to travel and do that is, is, is pretty awesome. Josh, you know, the, the one authority on knowing all the facts about somebody, of course, is Wikipedia, right? Because nothing's wrong in there, right? <laughs> but uh, so they, they have you listed as a free agent pitcher. So at the age of 38, are you still out there? Are you still, like, entertaining offers to pitch? Or are we ready for the big retirement announcement here? We have some breaking news to, to report. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I never really, I never really announced it just because, you know, all those big, big name guys kind of do it, but I never did. I just... I knew I was going to be done. So when, when I finished this year in September, I was, I'm done playing. I mean, I blew my elbow out last year and was pitching through it. And if I wanted to continue, I'd have to get Tommy John and then I'd be 40 years old trying to go back to Taiwan. So it's just, it's just too much. It kind of worked out perfect because I was leaning towards that way anyways, being 38 and four young kids at home. So it's, uh, it's official. I'm done playing. And I've actually had a couple of winter ball teams from Mexico reach out to me asking, when are you ready? We need a starter. I'm like, <laughs> not ready at all. <laughs> I'm actually done. 
Well, what kept you going all these years? Because, I mean, when you get into your mid-30s as a professional baseball player, first of all, the body's taking a toll. When you're a pitcher, your arms, shoulder, all that's taking a toll. So what, what kept you wanting to keep playing every year? I mean, injury-wise, I've been super fortunate. I, I never had a major injury until literally my 15th season just now in, uh, in 2020 with a torn UCL. But um, just feeling good physically, still having the velo and kind of getting better with the way I, I approach it. As a, I, I kind of got rejuvenated becoming a starter the last four years, which is awesome. I love that routine. And then it was just completely different with the way I could go about the game and start start guys off and kind of pitch backwards. And so that kind of rejuvenated me, and, and I was doing well. And then, you know, I'll go to Taiwan and making better money. I couldn't AAA and providing for the family. So it was it was tough to go that far, but it was it's hard to turn that down. And I think about my dad retiring at 33, and I think he, he kind of regretted that. You know, it was kind of a similar situation. He had kids at home, and back then he's on the East Coast, we're on the West Coast. There's no FaceTiming. There's no phones. It's just – you know, a landline and then letters. And that's got to be tough. I couldn't imagine that. So he, he went back home at 33 and wanted to get back into it when he got a little older. And by that time, he was my age now. And it was, it was too old back then. So I think that kind of kept me going. But, um, yeah, physically, it, it was going well besides a couple of those injuries. But um, it's, it's, hard, it's hard, hard to not – it's hard not to keep playing when you can. And you hear that from everybody. But then, like you said, it does get – difficult with that's a long way away from the kids and the time change is tough and then like I said with with that injury it just kind of it was just kind of time to move on and you talk about the distance from your family um I actually came across uh, a really well-written story uh regarding a pretty hard experience that you started your last season of baseball with and uh I'm, I'm myself I'm a mental health advocate so when I hear of anybody being stuck in a room for, for two weeks, completely stuck in a room. That has got to be an absolutely devastating and I would almost say frightening way to, to start off a season. It, it, that was an experience I've never felt. I think it was 15 days I was there and it was a very small room. I mean, you couldn't go in the hallway. So it was just in those confinements for 15 days, one small window you can open. And then I think my little brother was telling me that I guess vitamin D or the sun is pretty important in that aspect. Like if you don't get it and you hear stories of these, you know, these tunnels that people have lived in or have been captive in and it destroys the body, destroys the mental state. But obviously it wasn't that drastic, but it was, it was weird. There's a lot of hours in the day when there's just those walls and nothing to do really. But How did you fill the time? Did you have TV in the room at least? Oh Yeah. And I was going to say, yeah. fortunately for me, I, I can be a homebody when I need to be. So it was a lot of Netflix and I've an app on the fire stick where you can kind of almost get any movie, any show. So it was a lot of that. And then trying to read as much as I could. No, that's a lie. Probably not as much. As I could. <laughs> <laughs> any working but, out at all? Yeah. So they brought the team, brought some, a basket full of some weights and some med balls. And so I got to, you know, keep up with that stuff and some shorter, shorter stuff, but that's like an hour, you know, hour a day. And then it's like, well, there's 15 other hours I need to do something with. So and then the food was not the best. I mean, it was, that was a quarantine hotel at the time. So they're bringing a lot of the local food, which can be weird. And so Uber Eats was a savior. Also, I'd get Starbucks every morning, get a croissant and a coffee. So that was huge. But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't wait to hear other people's stories. because we had you know, new imports coming in and I'm like, dude, how was it? And you have certain guys who are like, 
know, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> but then I talked to other guys, like, that's the worst thing I've ever gone through. I'm like, thank you. But we had one guy who said, he said, the first half wasn't terrible. He goes, the second half was an absolute nightmare. Like, you get on the back nine, but it's just to realize even another week left is it's tough. So the last couple of years that I was actually traveling with the Jays, Netflix was just starting out. And one of my biggest beefs was I'd be on the road and I'd see shows or movies that I would start watching. And I come back home here and Netflix Canada, Netflix States have different shows. So when you were there, uh, were there any shows that you're like, oh, come on, man. Why can't I get it here? Or did you find the little sneaky way to get around it so you can access your United States Netflix there? You actually, you can. You can use a VPN to do that. Or you have this app. I have Cinema on the Fire Stick, which is the best. I don't even, I mean, I probably throw myself under the bus. I don't know if you're supposed to be using it or not, but it's just well, the upload, uploaded I know screens, the right? Yeah. I need to know about this fire stick. I'm spending way too much money on my cable. And I'm sorry, Rogers, you don't deserve any more of my money. Um, I hear a lot of good things about these fire sticks, but you need to have good Wi-Fi, right? And my yes. Wi-Fi can be really spotty at times, especially when I've got a, my 21-year-old son playing seven games at one time. I mean, it'd be worth it if you, uh, like at home here, I've braided our Wi-Fi connection, but we don't have cable. So I'll take that price difference and having a fun. We have four fire sticks or three with all the TVs. And with that app, you can literally get any movie of all time, any show of all time. And I, I, I can send you the link on how to download it under the fire stick. Yes, please. See all the stuff we're learning here on this show, Tom? Exactly. <laughs> every every week we start off talking about baseball and then who knows where we go. Well we didn't learn we didn't we didn't learn much from Carlson. I mean other than other than we we learned who his least favorite ball player is of all time and we learned uh, why he hates Jorge Posada so much. But other than that, you know. <laughs> you I remember did. I was there for that. Well, from okay, well, so let's get your perspective. As somebody who was not the one who threw the ball, I mean, okay, so you were in the bullpen at the time? Were you one of those that ran from the bullpen like Yeah, I mean, you have complete to run. idiots. It's like, well, what are we going to – like, right, when you're running, are you thinking, are we actually going to be – is this on? Are we punching people here now? <laughs> that, yeah, you always wondered that, but especially from the bullpen, all we know is when we get there, it's – over with anyways like I, the dugout the dugout guys have an opportunity to actually break it up or get involved if they need to be but by the time we get there it's we're we're on the outskirts like i get there and jeter's on my right and girardi's on my left and like we're not gonna do anything i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna grab jeter and throw him to the ground for no reason have you ever seen the movie the other guys and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you punched their cheater or do you shot their cheater <laughs> I would be looking at him going, no, nah, I'm not touching you. Yeah, the, whole city, the whole city hated that. Hated him for that. <laughs> did you, did you give Carlson any crap for missing Posada? No, I mean, I was pretty impressed with him to, to go at him like that. Cause if you watch the replay, Jorge's little shoulder was very mild and just like, let's go. Pretty impressive to be built like, like Carlson and go after Jorge. <laughs> Needless to say, your, your time in Toronto was not a long one, but it was definitely an entertaining time. But coming to the Blue Jays, so you were one of those who added an opportunity to see Edwin Encarnacion before he became Edwin Encarnacion. When you saw him in those early days in Cincinnati, could you see what was to become with Edwin? I know it's funny you say that because... I might have been the bigger part of the trade than he was at the time. And then he becomes a superstar and I just kind of go the wrong direction, but he was, he was a young, I remember we used to measure some of his, the homers he hit in like BP because he was 
we went to Vegas once and he's sitting balls off the scoreboard. I've never seen anyone touch that scoreboard and left, but he was like 24. I'm like, this kid's 24. And he was so thick and just had absolute juice. So yeah, me, him and Zach Stewart, I went over there and it's hard to see what he could become. Cause I didn't see him enough in Cincy, but it was, it was pretty fun to watch, to watch him grow. Cause he's always super nice and, and kind of quiet and reserved, but um, he, he had a great career. You're coming up with a guy like Edwin. Um, obviously, it's probably a bat that sticks in your mind. But when you think back on your time in the major leagues, was there one teammate that you saw, the, you know, that had all that talent and maybe just didn't make it? Yes, um, we're talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make it. Um, there, I think opportunity is a big name in baseball because you see it a lot because you have these guys that back to what I was saying with a skill set compared to being a freak athlete. And you see a lot of these guys that they have that skill in baseball. They can just absolutely play the game. It doesn't matter where you put them, what level they go to, they're going to, they're going to adjust to the competition. They're going to do fine and they're going to succeed and they don't get a chance because they don't have those, the five tool, right. Which is always based on that. And I'm, it's, it's frustrating to hear that because I bet you there's maybe two true five tool guys I've ever seen in my life. And that's probably Mike Trout and A-Rod maybe in his prime. But it, it, that's the level they always compare these guys to. I'm like, it doesn't exist really. So you don't need all five tools. You have guys that can do every single one pretty well and they can just play the game. And I'd say Justin Turner is a great example of that. I came up with him every level. And I was actually, we would rookie ball together and then I got a little higher and then he came there and I got a little higher than him, but then he just wanted to get a shot in the big leagues. And he just unbelievable self-confidence, but you could always see it with them, just kind of that swag, raked every level, but didn't have those standout fast twitch muscles where he's super fast with great arm, but just he's going to hit 300 every year, play good defense, and just never, never a doubt in his mind what he can accomplish. And he finally got a chance, and he took that and ran. So you, you see those guys every once in a while, and I'm glad he got the opportunity because we, we saw it from an from early age. For somebody who's been around the ballpark as, as much of, as you have your entire life, for a guy who's pitched in the major leagues and you've pitched in other places in the world, is Major League Baseball making too big a deal of this whole thing about the baseballs being doctored up by pitchers? Or uh, is this something you didn't see much of, at least at the extent they're doing it now? Because I remember Tom and I talked about this. You know, when you'd see you know, guys back in, in the day, have a nail file in his back pocket right i mean are you are you at all like are you sitting back going what's the big deal this stuff's been going on in baseball my whole life or are you thinking there's a bigger problem here no i don't think i don't think it's a problem i think yes yeah, a nail file that type of thing when you can actually doctor the ball in a way where it's going to be a, you know your sinker's moving 12 inches yeah that's you're you're kind of trying to cheat in that sense but i like what show walter said the other day like it's so true and we always bring it up like hitters use batting gloves and puncher all the time. They're not, they're not using it because they can hit the ball farther. It's you have to have grip. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's the biggest reason why I think a lot of these guys use it. And yeah, it might help with spin rate, but there's times where you go out there and they have that little mud they put on it. And if it's cold and it's slick, like it's a, it's a terrible feeling. And you've heard it said before, you, you know, you want hitting people in the head, but it's not just that it's, you have no idea, idea where the ball's going. So if you can get a little tack, Sure. The spin rate, I guess, goes up. They're saying that. I don't know much. I don't focus too much on the spin rate and the analytics side, but I've tried it before and it, I didn't like it. So I never used it my whole career because it, 
Romero showed me in, in Fenway, it was that same feeling. It was cold. And I, I was like, I can't get grip the ball. He gives it to me in the dugout. I think it was sunscreen and rosin, which I don't know why that would be illegal when you can use both of those. And I spiked the first ball like 50 feet. I'm like, get this off of me. <laughs> so I went straight, <laughs> I went straight to, the, to, to the moist grass and got it off quick. But um, I kind of wish I would have worked off seasons and using it to get used to it because it could definitely give you advantage of grip and just kind of, I guess, snap the pitches off. But I don't think it's a problem. I think, I think what Walter said also, like give uh, a legit type of pine tar rag or a substance that everyone can use pitching wise. And then if they veer off of that and use something different, okay, now you're not, now you can get them because they're kind of going on their, down their own path and using what they want, which I guess they could do it in a legal way in that sense, but everyone should be able to have a little tech. Speaking about the even playing field, actually. So when you go overseas, is this even an issue there? Are our pitchers in Korea, um, are they using similar substances or is this just an MLB thing? I didn't see, I don't remember too much if they're using it in Taiwan. And it's so humid there though, which is nice. You always, you're going to always have tack on the ball and that, that moisture. But um, I think a few of us would just use the sun, sunscreen rosin, you know, to put on, on our arm, which I don't, like I said, I don't see how that could possibly be illegal when you're allowed to use either of those. But no, I didn't see it too much over there. Tom, I don't know who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, but they were talking about uh, pitching in Asia and how the Japanese league was really favored towards pitchers and the you know Korean league was very favored towards the hitters. hitters so, and Taiwan as well. The Japan. The, why the heck did you go there then as a pitcher? Aren't you thinking, no, okay, that so, was, that's not my choice. Are... Trust me, I would, I'd rather go to Japan of any of those and then Korea. The, the, they make great money over those two places. And I mean, I can't complain. Taiwan was, you know, better than AAA, but it's Taiwan's a, a tough league pitching wise because there's only four teams in the whole league. So for three years straight, I faced three, only three total teams. And back to what you're saying, which I remembered is with the attackiness you say with overseas, Taiwan, they love the rosin. It is insane. Like whole arms caked white. And <laughs> Like, they'll have the ball in the glove and just tossing the rosin up before, which you, I don't think you're allowed to do that. You can't be on the mound, I don't think, with the rosin you can in the big leagues. And they'll throw a pitch and just a white puff will come out of their hand. I'm like, that is so dangerous because you, that's, where, that's where your eyes are going as a hitter. And all of a sudden, you, a white puff and the ball mix. If they, if they miss up you know, high and tight, you might not see it right away. So we always wondered, I don't know how they allowed some rosin just flying off the ball. But I yeah. love to. I love talking about the differences story between between the game that we see here in North America and the game over there and like the Raws and it, it, your approach as a pitcher. And you talked about something earlier in the interview that kind of keyed me in because you did. You went from a reliever to a starting pitcher, which is a big enough sort of change in and of itself. But then you go, you know, you're, you're over in Taiwan. How is the approach to the game there different than it would be for a starting pitcher here? Is it the same mix of pitches or is it a totally different approach? A lot more breaking balls or. Um, when I first got over there, my first year, I had my best year over there. I got won the ERA title, but my below was kind of pretty big because they didn't have a lot, of, a lot of local guys don't throw hard there. So they're all starters, maybe, maybe touching 90. So you know, I think I was 91, 94, so my velo played a big part. And then for some reason, they thought my curveball was really good, which I didn't think it was, but because it was big, 12-6. So them not knowing me was big at first. And, I mean, 
we, we kind of have the book on everyone, of course, because there's only three other teams, but they have the book on us as well, which I think it is uh, benefits the hitter more than it would a pitcher because we only have our arsenal and that's what we got. But fastballs inside were huge over there, especially for me to lefties because my chain was my worst pitch, so I had nothing, nothing really going away from them. So I had to eat them up inside and not let them get extended. So I lived on that for three years. But, um, you know, I never had a chance to – be a starter in the major leagues. I, I couldn't tell you in that aspect, but um, good hand-eye coordination over there for sure. They fell off a lot of good pitches and uh, can be tough to strike out. But I think with me, what I liked about starting, what I realized is as a reliever, you know, I, I had a good arm coming up, so I always thought I had to throw a fastball. 2-0, have to throw a fastball. 3-1, have to throw a fastball. You learn as a starter that walks aren't that big of a deal because you're going for six, seven innings, hopefully. But as a reliever coming up in that area when I was coming up, the walks were like the worst thing you can do. And so you just kind of always said that I, I can't walk them and give them a free pass. And I think that kind of hurt me in a sense. And then nowadays I find out that walks don't even matter anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's, just it's crazy. Like now base hits are devastating and walks are just whatever. And that's just not how I came up. So I think that once I became a starter and realized, oh, I can, I can go breaking ball, ball, go another breaking ball, ball, and then go from there. doesn't matter if I'm behind 2-0 because – I can kind of afford a walk here and, and it's, it's my walk for one. And I can kind of go from there and, and work the inning, but as a reliever, it's, you know, walks for a no, no. That kind of was always in the back of my mind. Well, Tom, I think when, when we asked Jesse Litch for advice for young pitchers, he made it clear, throw a strike because he goes, even if you look at batting practice and they're facing those BP fastballs, most of the time the batters are going to get themselves out. Right. And it blows my mind when I see guys going on the mound now and just try to just overpower, and they're not even close to the strike zone. Is this, you know, maybe an issue with the way kids are being taught to pitch now? And just the whole idea, like, remember years ago, it was all about hitters, you know, you know, chicks dig the long bowl. Remember, that was like the big expression. Everybody wanted to hit a home run, and people stopped learning to hit balls to different fields, and then the shift started. Well, now it seems like Pitchers are coming into games, especially relievers, and they can't even throw a strike. No, I've I've I've, I've watched much this year, but I've been hearing that. And then when they can't throw a strike, and then you get keyhole, and now you're missing middle middle, and it doesn't matter how hard you throw, these guys are they're hitting out of the park. So I've I've been hearing that a lot, but I, I saw it at 16. I was the Angels throwing sidearm that year because I, I couldn't get no interest from anybody. I was like 34 at the time. And I'm like, and I can always, I always mess around throwing sidearm. I know I could do it. So I all off season, I threw a sidearm, threw for the Angels in, in spring training, like a tryout, and they signed me. And I threw the whole season sidearm, but I started and extended. And so when I'm coming up with Cincy, I had the best, like one of the best arms in the organization. And all you hear, all I hear was like, tame it, tame it. It doesn't matter how hard you throw, command the ball, work, work to count, like the bullpens, take it easy. You're not making the team the first day. Okay. I mean, extended with the Angels, and they're bringing radar guns out for these young 22-year-olds, and they're having them curl hop down the mound, throwing bullpens with the radar guns hard as they can. I'm like, where, like, where was this when I had that really good arm? I probably could have thrown harder. And so I think that seeing it back then, and then seeing what you said just now, you're getting if you throw hard, you're going to get a job. Your ERA is not going to matter as much because they keep thinking you can have those two, three punch out innings. It doesn't matter if you give up a couple runs. And actually, Casey Jansen told me years ago when he was with San Diego, I think, I don't think he made the team out of spring or so I don't remember what happened, but he's like, we were talking on the phone. He's like, if I 
if I go out there in spring training and I go every inning, three ground ball outs, no runs, he goes, they'll take this 25 year old who gives up a single double punches out two. like they want that instead of three easy outs, which is to us, we're like, we contact as part of the game. Like that's, that's your whole goal. But to go out and uh, giving up a run's okay and a double because you have that strikeout potential and that high ceiling, we want that guy instead. That once we heard that, I was like, that's just not baseball. And that's why pitchers have 70 pitches through three innings these days. And why a starting pitcher, the, the idea, you, ha- you literally, Josh, have to be throwing a no hitter now to get a complete game these days. That's um, well, and then remember, I was in Colorado in 12. We, that's when they were doing that piggyback system. <laughs> but they were doing it on purpose, but now you kind of see it. Just because, for that sense, like the pitch counts get too high, you can't even go deep in games. And then you go match up with analytics, and now from the fifth inning on, you want to, you go, you know, five straight relievers. Crazy. Tom, your dog have a question? Yeah, you know what? They must have, my, my son must have been shooting a cap gun that he has upstairs. So this poor girl gets yeah, absolutely <laughs> terrified. She runs down to the basement and she won't, she was just pawing at my leg until I let her up. This is Penelope. <laughs> now you know talking about you know just the it's, it's kind of become an arms race right like just velocity 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 and you're right it does take some of the nuance out of the game is this something that you think you know just with the with the way that the game is becoming less engaging for fans coupled with all of the injuries that are happening is this something that we can start seeing swinging back to the point where teams are actually looking for a mark burley say that throws 86 but controls his pitches and has like a more a, sustainable like approach to yeah. how, how's he doing this year i was wondering that i know the cubs are doing well because you like we talk about it too like right could you imagine greg maddox pitching in with against these hitters now i mean he'd do whatever he wants because I, I see you see some guys are swinging we call it swinging out of the hand as soon as the balls let go they're guessing and I've seen some of these pitches on Instagram, the balls in the other batter's box. I'm like, what is going on? Or guys have been hit by sliders multiple times this year in the knee. Like, it's it's incredible. Like, approach on both sides. One is airing it out as hard as you can, not caring where it goes. And the other is, it seems like they're swinging out of the hand and hoping they're guessing in the right spot. Kyle Hendricks, by the way, coming into today, 8-4, and four, 446 ERA. So the ERA is high. He's given up 19 home runs already. Holy cow. Like, that's after 13 starts, he's given up 19 home runs. That's where all the runs came from. So, yeah. like, getting clean, clean inning, clean inning, clean inning, two runs shot, yeah. It's just amazing to see eight wins with a starting pitcher before the All-Star break. Yeah. That is. <laughs> and, and wins and losses. Yeah, wins and losses just don't, don't mean what they used to mean back in the day when pitchers were going 300 innings, right? Right. Um, you know, usually you started a game and you were going to get the decision one way or the other. Hey, uh, before we uh, invite in our studio audience, I, I do want to ask you, when you were traded to the Blue Jays in 2008, uh, your brother Jason was already in the Blue Jays minor league system. So was there was there thoughts in your mind? Did you and your brother kind of think to yourself, oh, man, we could actually play in the majors together? Was there any of that kind of thought in your head when you got traded? Um, A little bit. Yeah, I think he, he was there in 08 and I got, I got traded in 09 at the deadline but yeah it was cool to have him there and then Casey Jansen we were roommates in college and good friends and he was with the Jays as well and um I was excited to go there honestly I mean I remember getting the it was like five minutes before the deadline and calling me from BP and uh Dusty tells me 
but we had just got back from there playing Cincinnati interleague and I loved that city and it was awesome. Like it was just a great time and I hear I'm going there. So I was excited, but um, I had a great time there. Great people and fans, teammates, but I just, I didn't pitch as well as I'd like to. I don't know if I was more uncomfortable just being in a new setting and, and kind of a, I was young for that bullpen it seemed like, and um, just, just didn't, didn't pitch what I was capable of. So that, that was kind of always a regret. And then I knew since the, I came up with all those guys, I knew they could be really good. And we were great coming up in minor leagues together. And sure enough, all those guys get the big leagues and they went to division two the next three years. So I kind of saw that coming. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, each and every week we uh, invite a few of our listeners and viewers to come on the show. So we're going to bring them in now. And this is where the good questions come, Josh. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, they bring it every week. And I hate to put the pressure on them, but uh, they they do bring it every week. So uh, we are going to be joined momentarily by Fiona and John and Sue. We've got a married couple that have joined us here. How's it going? From their little abode. <laughs> All right. Before we get to John and Sue, uh, Fiona, why don't we start with you this week? Say hello to Josh and fire away. Hi, Josh. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. I, I actually had some really great questions, but Barry and Tom asked all of them. So. Aha! We, we're learning from you all. We're learning. <laughs> so I'll ask you this. Uh, you said that you thought your changeup was probably the pitch you had the least success with. So which one do you think you had the most success with? Um, my four-seamer, I'd say. I mean, that was always my bread and butter coming up as a reliever with Cincinnati. And it was great for me. That's when I had my arm was better. And then I kind of, I ended up going to a sinker a little bit when I got to the big leagues because you, all you hear is, you know, they're way better up there. You got to manipulate the ball a little more. And that actually became a good pitch for me too. But then it took away from my forcing velocity, I have a feeling. And you hear that with cutters as well. It's just you're not creating that backspin as consistent as you'd like to. So, but I, I'd say that my fastball is probably my best pitch for sure, probably throughout my whole career. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Great question again, Fiona, and, and Tom and I are sorry that we uh, we stole stole. I'll, I'll try here. not to do it again. You know, okay. maybe maybe guys send us the questions before the show so that <laughs> Barry and I don't trample all over everything next week. <laughs> all right, uh, enjoying some cozy weekend time up at the cottage, uh, John and Sue. John, we're going to you last. We want to hear from Sue first. Sue, <laughs> say hello to Josh. Hello, Josh. Thank you for doing this. You look great. It's nice to see you and meet you this way. Thank um, you, too. You've played in so, so many different places. I just wondered what was your sort of likes and dislikes about certain places, maybe favorite foods and cultures, and um, what did you do on your days off in all these places? And, and one other, my favorite question these days is, uh, what's your opinion on robot umpires? All right, there we go. Let's start with that one. Start with that one. Um, we've actually we've talked about it in the past and kind of made jokes because you see hitters. I did it too as a hitter, I'm sure, but being a pitcher, you see how much they complain about these pitches, right? Because they don't they don't agree it's a strike. And so we've always said, I want to mind a robot umpire because I think it favors the pitchers for sure. We throw a lot of pitches that you know guys are catching the ball below the knees, or you know the strikes are supposed to be at the armpits but you're not even getting strikes at the waist so i think that would be advantageous for the if they have the actual strike zone and you have like a, i always said a hologram would be nice if it touches any part of the hologram it's a strike but i said even with the robot or hologram hitters would still complain about the strike zone without a doubt yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't even agree with technology <laughs> and uh 
The other ones. What did you like to do in the road? Yeah. Mexico is a very fun league. You know, it was 12 teams. <clears throat> Got to travel throughout the whole country. I mean, I didn't know going in, but I'm thinking to me, you know, I've been to Mexico a few times on vacation. I'm always in the beach area. So I'm like, it's going to be a great place to pitch. They're all sea level. And then, I, and then I hear otherwise as I get there, the summer league is all in the high elevation places. You know, Mexico City, 7,500 feet above sea level. Puebla was 7,100. So it was, that was a tough place to pitch and kind of shocking thinking of Mexico as being in the mountains and, and high elevation. But I enjoyed that league a lot, I'd say. Because Taiwan was only four teams and that was 12, I think I had a little more fun in that sense there. But days off, we'd walk around, go to the mall, go see a movie whenever we could. You know, you find guys in the teams that love movies, so it's nice to go enjoy a, a couple of beers and go to the movies. But um, just hang out with teammates, the guys you get along with, and uh, just enjoy being away from the game for, for a little bit on, on days off. Are you a picky eater at all? Not really. I The pickiest I was was definitely in Taiwan. I mean, it's just mm. like things you never experienced, honestly. But I'd say it's the it's, – we'd say the cheap part of the meat, like out here, like the stuff you probably throw away, a lot of it is in the food there in the local area, local areas and like the little the shops in the street. But um, a lot of oils, which you're not used to. And then one of the biggest things when I got there was – that time change kills you, which I didn't think not just jet lag, but you're, you're eating at times when your body's asleep. And so for the first week, your stomach's kind of upset and acid reflux. So that it was kind of an adjustment at first, especially with the, that on top of the, the food that they're bringing in. Of all the places that you pitched, who had the best food? Ooh, I mean, it still stands out. We went to, well, the Yankee stadium, the new one was phenomenal. That's like, five-star restaurant they're bringing in for you, which is unbelievable. Seafood platter, Philly cheesesteaks. Like. Yeah, they never gave me – I never got any of that. I got to watch you guys eat all that crap for years, and <laughs> especially at the new Yankee Stadium. My God, I'd go in there after a, a three-hour game starving because I've had maybe some popcorn in the press box, and you guys are just devouring, like, four-course meals there. <laughs> I still remember those stands out, though, was the Coliseum in Oakland. I walked in. I got there early <laughs> – at like 11 or 12 and they had literally my three favorite things in the world it was like a double double from in and out chipotle <laughs> uh, bowl and they had round table pizza which is on the west coast where i grew up and i was like this is unbelievable <laughs> all in the okay. same day thanks i'm hungry now all right john <laughs> uh up to you now now uh say hello to josh hi josh so hi, john. Thank you. Thank you in English. Gracias in Mexican and Shay Shay in Chinese. Oh, thank benke, you. Benke <laughs> Listen, I have a, this is a technical question. Barry and Tom will kill me for it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I looked up your pitching style and it says Renicky throws five pitches. He has a four seam fastball thrown at 91 to 95 miles per hour, a two seam fastball at 91 to 94. A slider 82 to 86, curveball 76 to 79, and an occasional changeup at 83 to 85. He does not use his changeup against right handed hitters. His primary fastball against righties is the four seamer, while he leans towards the two seamer against lefties. <clears throat> I don't know whether any of that's true. The question, having read all that, is where do you learn all these pitches? 
like who teaches you 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 were an out you were an outfielder became a pitcher so uh, that's a great question because learn all this stuff it probably backfired honestly like my little brother told me that he's like when you got when you went straight to pitching from outfield you didn't know anything and you had an unbelievable arm and a great curveball so I, I was a two-pitch mix and I was you know flying through the system with those because I had, was stone 94 97 and then a big time breaking ball and then we have so much time in the outfield and bp you start messing with pitches and you try to be someone else which can backfire like oh he, he does that really well let me start messing with that and the sinker like i said became a good pitch for me but i think it took away from my my forcing fastball and then the slider cutter thing i messed with that for my whole career i mean it, it was great at times and this last year actually in taiwan it was good for me but it's weird. Like when I think cutter for me, it's really good. When I think slider is not, cause you see guys that they spin the heck of those sliders and you know, I was never good at that. I'd always come around it too much and it'd be a sloppy pitch. So when I thought cutter staying behind it, it'd become a hard slider, but I'm thinking cutter in my mind. And that was actually became a good pitch for me as well. And then back to the changeup, I started throwing a two seam changeup. When I got to Taiwan, a teammate showed me and this year, being my third year over there, I threw it a lot to lefties and that became a really good pitch actually because it became my sinker, which I lost my sinker and after 2012. So I didn't throw a sinker in nine years, but that changeup was hard, which I didn't like. I liked it slower, but it became a modified sinker actually. So it, um, that was actually good for me this year. But yeah, I think a lot of time in our hands in the bullpen, not doing anything and BP just kind of talk to their teammates and you mess with grips and kind of go from there and see what works and see what doesn't. John, once again, thank you for your questions. Sue, Fiona, thank you for your questions as well. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. I have not seen you since you were in a Blue Jay uniform, I don't think, so it's been a long time. Thanks for even remembering who I was. I must have pissed you off or done something to make that kind of an impact. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks again for doing this, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch, all right? There is former Toronto Blue Jay, Josh Renicky. So, We've got a lot to tell you about uh, as to what is coming up here on Out of the Park. So on next week's show, former Toronto Blue Jay, Homer Bush. We had a chance to do a Zoom with him. And once again, we invite Out of the Park Insiders to join us. Now, we've got a lot of Out of the Park Insiders, but a lot of the Out of the Park Insiders haven't taken advantage of this great opportunity. So if you are not an insider and you think, this is really cool, I'd love to get in on this, as you saw, with Josh Reineke, there was only three people there. So you get an opportunity to really have a good chat uh, with these former Toronto Blue Jay players. Uh, it's too late to get in on Homer Bush. But, Tom, the week after that, if all goes according to plan, making his first appearance on Out of the Park will be former Toronto Blue Jay closer B.J. Ryan. Oh, wow. He just sprung that on me. Yeah. Nice. So we'll, have a, we'll have an opportunity to do a Zoom with him and uh, sit in on the Zoom there. So, Tom, if people want to get in on these Zooms, how do they do it? Patreon.com slash out of the park. $3 a month, $5 a month. Send it our way. It's not much to pay. And you can get on with these major leaguers and say whatever you got to say. I love it. I absolutely love it. So we want to thank Josh Renicky, Raj Sapaya, Marcus Reyes for joining us. Uh, and, and Thomas, I'm, I'm going to tell you something as we, we get ready to, to sign off and go. Uh, I've never had the opportunity to do what Josh Reineke did, which is, you know, become a, a star in another country and actually have a chance to stand on a field wearing a lay around my neck and dancing 
with a number of dancers. But I will give you this. If I only had one of these gloves with me back in the day, there is no chance, no chance in the world that I would have any success in having an opportunity to dance on the field. Uh, well, maybe I could dance on the field, but not for the same reasons. Tom, as always, it is a pleasure, and thanks to each and every one of you for continuing to make us a part of your week.